chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26 tonight. We're going to try to finish up um, the, the, this thought, this um, passage that Paul is going through that we started last week, and we're going to try to finish it up this week. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26. We preached on the w- power and wisdom of Christ and required in preaching the gospel, how God... Um, chose the preaching of the gospel for the spreading, even though it was foolishness to this world, he chose the preaching of the gospel to spread his word. Now we're going to begin reading in verse number six and uh, 26, excuse me, and try to finish out this thought. Paul says, in the word of God, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word. I just pray that um, you would be free to speak tonight, Lord, that you just enable me to um, be clear and to communicate your word, and that you would touch hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever had someone who thought they were really good at something? Who thought they were really good at something? When I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I was really into hockey. I still love hockey. I don't play it very well, but I was really into hockey. Well, me and my younger brother Stephen and my younger siblings, and even Sarah at that time was playing with us, we had rollerblades. We didn't even have any hockey sticks. We took the broom handles off the church brooms till Dad told us to put them back. And we took a roll of electrical tape, and that was our puck. And we played, we played hockey in the basement. Oh, yes. On carpet, in rollerblades, without a puck, without a stick. We played hockey. And because I was the oldest boy... I was therefore bigger than everyone else that was there. I was a little bit faster. I had longer arms. And I listened to hockey so on the radio, so I knew what was supposed to happen. Therefore, in my little teenage mind, I was good at hockey. In rollerblades, in a church church basement, playing against my eight-year-old brother. I, I was really good at hockey. And then we, so we did that, and then we played wiffle ball out in the side yard. And I had a wiffle ball, and Stephen had a wiffle ball, and Rudy and um, Deborah would play with us sometimes. And, you know, I had this wiffle ball, and I was trying to throw sinkers and knuckleballs and splitters and all these fancy pitches with a little plastic ball and a plastic bat. And I thought I was really good. At wiffle ball, well, baseball, until Brother Franz will remember this story. We had been playing wiffle ball, and then he took the teenage boys to the batting cage. 
And he's going to start laughing because he remembers this story. Because I thought I could hit a home run with a wiffle ball almost every time. Well, we went to the batting cages where they handed me a real bat. Suddenly it didn't happen the same way it happened in wiffle ball. I think I hit one pitch out of like 50 or 75 or something. It was ridiculous. I couldn't hit anything. But I, up to that point, I had thought I was really good because then there had been no context to that. You see, the Corinthian believers in this passage, they were young in Christ. And they were beginning to think that they were really good Christians because they were at, they were bringing in some of their, as we talked last week, some of their own thought processes and they were comparing themselves among themselves. And it was almost like me as a 12 year old trying to play hockey with a broom pole in their spiritual minds. They were beginning to think of themselves as pretty good Christians. They were be- and then they were beginning to compare themselves among themselves and say, well, I'm really better than you because I've been saved longer. And they were beginning to go back and forth and beginning to puff themselves up and think of them more highly than they ought. And that, that was bringing contention into the church. And the gospel wasn't going forth like it should have been. So Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian believers saying, hey, there's some things you need to straighten out. If you're going to continue to be and become the Christians that God wants you to be, there's going to need to be some changes. There's going to need to be um, God working your life more. You're going to need to stop thinking of yourselves this highly and get back to the basics of the gospel. Because remember, it isn't all about you, like we talked about or pr- tried to preach last week, what Paul was telling. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to this world. It doesn't matter how much you think or how much you bring in, you know, I'm going to really convince people. I'm going to show them. No, it's the preaching of the cross. What God has chosen is foolishness to this world. And now Paul has talked about what the preaching of the cross is and how the power of God is through the preaching of the cross. And now he takes that same thought and he takes it and he turns it to the Corinthian believers and says, because the preaching of the cross is this way, it is the wisdom of God and it's stronger than the foolishness of men. Or the foolishness of God, excuse me, is stronger than the wisdom of men. Listen, you guys aren't as big as you think you are. That's what Paul goes, verse number 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that many, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Um, Paul begins to listen, many Christians in your church, they aren't these super educated people. God God will save anyone. That's why Paul says not many. There were some very educated people. There were some very wise, some mighty people. But Paul is saying, listen, not many wise people are going to submit to the foolishness of the gospel. When Paul's talking about wisdom, he's talking about someone who's very educated, who has um, worked on their mind and built it up and do critical thinking or whatever, however you want to think of, but somebody who is very smart. And then he goes on to not many mighty. This is talking about someone who even with political influence, someone with not only physically strong, but also influentially strong, a politician, someone who has a lot of influence, someone who in the world standards has, we would say, a lot of clout. Someone who's mighty in the world. Many of those people aren't called. Or many of those people aren't willing to submit to the gospel. 
And this is not many noble. This is talking about noble born, people of high birth, people of position in society granted to them just because of their heritage. In, in this time, who your family was was very, very important. Also, some people like Paul, because of who they were born, they were freeborn. They were born as Roman citizens. That instantly made them somebody in the society. And Paul's telling them, Listen, you see your calling, how God has saved you, but many people who have what the world says is good aren't willing to submit to the gospel. They're not, they're not coming to church there. They're, you look around you, Paul's saying to these Corinthians, even though you think you're really big, you look, look, in, look in the pews of your church, Corinthians, you know, you think of yourselves as very smart, very educated, but in the world standards, you don't have that many people like that in your church. But, even though you don't have that, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And once again, Paul begins to go through comparing the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. He's doing that again, but he's comparing this with the lies of the Corinthian believers. And notice how each time he says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to, con- to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. How, what Paul's saying is, many things of the world, they say, that's weak. Or, that's base. That's non-desirable. That's a, that person is a nobody. Or, that thing is, that isn't going to help me out. With the world, there's a constant... Um, a putting up or a presenting of it needs to be higher. It needs to be survival of the fittest or whatever. Um, how people of the world think that it's going to be, it has to be the best. If you're not going to meet up to their criteria, you're not worth anything, oftentimes. But what God has done, He said, what the world has rejected, what the world has taken and thrown aside as useless, God said, that's what I am going to take to confound them. Now the word confound means to make ashamed or to put shame on, completely confuse. When I when I think of the when I was study, trying to do some studying on this and thinking of the word confounded, I thought of an illustration from history and the American Revolution. The British at that time were the world's best army. They were the best. They knew themselves to be the best. In fact, they were so confident when they came to occupy the colonies that one of their own surgeons wrote the song, Yankee Doodle, making fun of the Americans, saying, you guys don't know how to hold a gun. You guys are only um, able to help in the kitchen. That's all you're good for, was the point of Yankee Doodle, which we use now as one of our patriotic songs. Because what happened was, the British came in so overconfident, so um, convinced of their own greatness, and the inability of the Americans to do anything, that one of the second battles of the Revolution, Battle of Bunker Hill, they literally sent in line their forces just walking up the hill. 
Usually when you were attacking an entrenched position, you attacked this way in a line so you could punch through. The British were so overconfident, they just came up like this, all lined up. And the Americans, though they were eventually defeated, decimated, just decimated the British army as they attacked again and again and were defeated and defeated until eventually the Americans ran out of gunpowder. It's how the British won the Battle of Bunker Hill. But what happened was those as scarecrow farmers, as people might call them, people with no military training completely confounded the best army the world could throw at them at that time. The British were completely dumbfounded, dumbfounded with how the Americans were fighting. And yet, that's a um, physical illustration of that. I remember as a um, young boy, I went to my grandpa's house in West Virginia. And he had some boxing gloves there. And I was going to box with my little brother, Stephen. He's five years younger than me, and he hadn't hit his growth spurt yet. So I was like, this should be pretty easy. I was joking with him. Well, I was pretty confident. I said, yeah, this is going to be a, this is going to be a one-hit affair. I hit you, and you hit the floor. Well, about ten minutes later, my dad said, that's enough, boys. Step, you know, just put the gloves down. Let's stop fighting. Because I came in, and he was saying, no, even though you're my bigger brother, you're not going to beat me up. And he, he put me to shame. That's what I'm saying. He confounded me as I was trying to defeat him and show how big I was compared to my little 10-year-old brother. That wasn't very big of me anyways. But what he did was he confounded me. He put me to shame because he defeated me. And that's what God wants to do. That same thing, put to shame the things of this world, the wisdom that the world puts forth, the strength, the influence that the world claims it has. God is going to confound that because He has chosen the foolish things, the things that the world has rejected, the nobodies of the world. I'm a nobody tonight. Most of us here have never held a political office. Most of us here, if our names showed up in the newspaper, people wouldn't know that from Adam, as we would say. And Paul's telling these Corinthian believers, hey, you may think you're really great, but there's not, according to the world, there's not that many really smart people there. There's not that really many wonderful, mighty people that can influence the world in your church. But that isn't the point. The point isn't that you go get those people, because that's what the world is after. The point isn't that you become mighty and influential in the world. The point isn't that you have to have the heritage and the royal blood so you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, Paul is reminding him instead that God has chosen to use the foolish things of this world. God has chosen the very things that the world rejects, that the world says, that's foolish, that's stupid, that's silly. The people who they say, you'll never amount to anything, those are the people that God wants to use to confound, to bring to shame the very people that the world say, this is what we want. Because the foolishness of God, which God cannot be foolish. God is completely sovereign. He is almighty. He knows everything. But what God has chosen to do in His wisdom is take people like me, like you, that the world says is a nobody. That the world says, hey, you don't even have the right heritage to become someone great. 
You don't even have, you don't have the education. You don't have the influence. You don't have the social standing. In fact, you're a nobody. You're rejected. But God has chosen to use the people that the world has rejected to confound the wisdom of this world. Here's why. Paul gives two reasons why. Verse number, verse number 29. That no flesh should glory in His presence. That's the first reason Paul gives. That the reason why God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise is God doesn't want us taking credit for what He's doing. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you, you can become as wise as you want, but that isn't going to help you serve Christ because God has said, I am going to use the things that this world has rejected because I don't want, God is saying, I don't want you taking credit for what I'm doing. The word glory there means to boast or to brag. How many people have you heard bragging about their accomplishments? Just go to Facebook. It's full of it. That's what Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, and all of it that is about. Mostly is people bragging about their accomplishments. And God doesn't want that in His church. I'm not saying Facebook is wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God doesn't want us trying to take the credit for what He is doing. And that's what the Corinthian believers were doing. God is saying, Paul said, what God wants is that no flesh should glory in His presence. Then number two, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. But because of God, ye are, if you're saved, you're in Christ Jesus. Verse number 30, who of God is made unto us, Jesus Christ is made unto us, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ is the wisdom that we need. Jesus Christ is the righteousness that we need. Jesus Christ is the sanctification, the holiness that we need in our lives. Jesus Christ is the redemption that we need to. The world will never know that because Jesus Christ is everything we need. Those are the two points that Paul is bringing out. Is the reason why God has chosen the foolish things of this world is He doesn't want us trying to take credit for what He has done. Number one. And number two, we don't need it because everything we have, everything we need, we find in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification and redemption is what Paul's, Paul writes there. He puts it all together and says, Jesus Christ is everything you need, so why are you seeking for the things of this world? They're not going to help you serve God. We must find our life's meaning, our purpose, our purpose for why we live in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is everything we need. And Paul is reminding these Corinthian believers, listen, you don't have to go seek the, th- the wisdom of this world. You don't have to go try to get that or become that. Because honestly, you're not. But that is perfect. Because God doesn't want you to try to take the credit for what He's doing. The, full, the reason God has chosen the foolishness of this world, the things that this world has rejected to confound the world, 
is God wants to receive glory in our lives. God wanted the Corinthian believers to boast. Look at verse number 31. That, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. What Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers, what God wanted the Corinthian believers to do, was stop thinking about who was going to have the most wisdom or how they could present the gospel in the best way, but rather trust in the plan that God had already made, the preaching of God's Word, how God had set that up as He had ordained that for the sharing of God's Word, was the preaching of God's Word. It wasn't their wisdom. It wasn't their might. It was the foolishness of preaching. And if you're a Christian and you're going to live for God... It isn't your wisdom. It isn't my wisdom. It isn't my innate personality to be able to win people over with my personality. No. Because while that's great to the world, that's foolishness to God. Because that gets in the way of Him receiving glory. Because if it's about me, it's not about God. And what... Paul and God wanted the Corinthian believers to do was glory in God's sufficiency, not their abilities. They were to glory in God's sufficiency, not their abilities. And the same is true of us today. If we are going to serve God, if we're truly going to bring glory to God in in this church, an open door Bible Baptist church, it isn't going to be through our great intellect through our great wisdom, or the great, powerful people that we win and bring into this church. Some may come. We may have someone one day become a member of this church who, in the world's eyes, is a great person. But that doesn't matter because God has chosen the foolish things of this world. God can use anyone to do His glory. But it isn't those things that bring glory to God. What brings glory to God is when we glory in Him. Realize that He is sufficient for everything. And when we talk about what God has done in our lives, it shouldn't be, you know, look what I did. It should be, let me glory in the Lord. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Because that is how God can confound even the wisest person who lives today. It's through the power of God, which is the preaching of the gospel. Which to the world is foolishness. To us who are saved, it is the power of God. Allow God to confound the world through your life. God wants to do that. God wants to bring glory to His name today in New York City through yours and my life. He wants to bring glory to His name through the Union Baptist Church. But it isn't going to, we're not going to bring glory to God's name if we're talking, constantly talking about how, well, you know, just that great planning, just that great um, knowledge of how to get things work. No, we glory, we bring glory to God's name when we talk about how great He is and what He has done and realize that our sufficiency isn't in what we can think about or what we can do, but is in Jesus Christ. Because God doesn't want to share His glory with anyone. God cannot. So what we should do is glory in God's sufficiency, 
not our abilities. God has given people abilities, and they are to be used, and God has planned that. God has given people gifts to be used in the church. And Paul will get to that later. But he couldn't get to that into the point to where the Corinthians had to stop thinking about themselves and thinking about how they were, could work things out and then they're bringing in the worldly wisdom into their thing, into their worship of God. Paul was saying, no. Stop, 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 stop. Get back to the basics here. The power of God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God is in the preaching of the cross. God is glorified when the world is confounded through something that is completely illogical to them. But remember, if you're saved, Jesus Christ is everything we need. Therefore, we don't need the wisdom of this world. We don't need the, um, the strength and the influence that the world says is so necessary. What we need is Jesus Christ and we need to glory in Him and in Him alone. Our boasting shouldn't be about how great we are or how good we are. And that's what Paul's trying to say. Preach the cross of Christ in the first part. Don't mix your wisdom. Don't bring the world's wisdom of that into the preaching of the cross because you're going to stop it. You can make it of none effect. And we can make our lives as witnesses of none effect when we begin to allow our own self and we begin to glory in how great we think we are. I know I struggle with that. I don't know if anyone else does or what. But what Paul is trying to get across is, if you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. Because He alone is what we need. Not anything else. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank You for...